Hello, thank you for downloading this episode of The Final Third. We have an amazing episode for you guys today. As always, we talk about Juventus winning the Copa Italia, Robert Lewandowski breaking the single-season goal-scoring Bundesliga record, as well as league wins from Atletico Madrid and Lille. If you enjoy this episode, go give it a rating and follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Also give us a follow at Final Third Show on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, talk to us there. We always love talking to people who listen to the podcast. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another news and predictions episode of the Final Third. My name is Jack. I am a Chelsea fan, a Minnesota United fan, and I'm forgetting the rest. French national team fan, Slovakian national team fan, and Atalanta fan. Let's and go. of course, I've got Atalanta today because they had an embarrassing loss to Milan. But uh, yeah, and also Newport County because up the mighty exiles, you know. So, and I'm joined here with AJ. Yeah, I'm AJ. I'm everyone's favorite Minnesota United, West Ham United, and United States national team fan. Pretty excited for this episode, Jack. I don't know about you because we're actually going to talk about some of the teams that right. we enjoy, at least especially for you, you know, Chelsea, Newport County, Atlanta, unfortunately, uh, even Chelsea, unfortunately, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a little uh, bit of unfor- a little unfortunate, <laughs> a little slip up against the team that I think we both hate quite a bit. Uh, I think uh, it's Aston safe Villa. to say. Yes, yeah. Yes. Uh, specifically for one for one man, uh, yeah. the one who shares the name with me. We don't need to name him. Yes, exa- exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, forget about him. We're going to talk about, we are going to talk about that game, unfortunately. But we're going to talk about a lot of different things today in our News and Predictions episode. But we're going to start off by talking about uh, uh, following our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. We're posting a lot on Twitter and Instagram because it's the summer. And also, in addition to that, if you're listening to this podcast and you are a relatively regular listener, go check out our listener survey. It's going to be in the show notes down below. Give that a listen. Um, give that a give that a look and fill it out. You know, you can give us a a lot of, of, of great information on how we could improve the podcast in whatever way you possibly see fit. Uh, And with that, let's get into the big stories. We're going to cover five big stories in and around the world of soccer on and off the field. So this was a big week, obviously, Jack, we had a lot of competitions wrap up competitions conclude. So let's, jump into maybe one of the smaller ones because I want to save the bigger ones for later. Let's talk about Juventus winning the Copa Italia. Jack, did you did you watch this match? You are an Atalanta fan. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I did watch this match and I, I regretted it after because it made, it made me feel immense pain. Uh, that, that That's about all I can say about that right, right. now to uh, kick it off. I, I know we talk about it in our predictions uh, segment, but what did you predict the scoreline being? Uh, the exact opposite of what it was. I okay. predicted two one uh, for Atalanta. All right, and I think I predicted two to one towards Juventus, and that's <laughs> that's how it turned out. So so Juve beat Atalanta two to one to win their fourteenth Coppa Italia. Very impressive. And we like to focus here at the final third on what it means for the team seasons. We're going to talk about what went wrong specifically for Atalanta, what went right for Juventus in the prediction segment. But let's talk about kind of what it means for Atalanta first 
For Atalanta, they're still chasing their first major trophy since their lone Copa Italia win in 1963. So it's been, what, 60 years now? Yep, uh, 60 since, years. Yeah, since... Yeah, that is right, right? 60 yeah, years? Just about, yeah, yeah, just about. Dang, that's... Now that I'm saying out loud, that's even longer than I really like realized. That that's a very long time to go without a major trophy. Not to rub salt in the wound, Jack. Yeah, th- but, thanks a lot for that. Yeah, yeah. But I I want to ask you, Jack, is Atlanta season still a success? Because they they made the top four, very impressive for them. Uh, they made it to the, the the final of the Copa Italia. Would you consider Atlanta season still a success? Absolutely. This is a team that you know ten years ago was not even in Serie A. They were uh-huh. a Serie B team. That's where they've been most of their time. Like they have been a, a pretty small team for, for most of their existence. And, you know, they've been in Serie C uh, and it, you know, they've built up to this and they've built an impressive squad. They're still a success. They've actually recorded their highest league finish with a third place finish uh, or joint highest tied with last season. So that's still good showing that they're continuing to make to make their name among the elites of the Italian game. So I don't think this makes their season a, a failure. They made it to a final. They may, uh, you know, they, they made it to the round of 16 of the champions league again. And I think they did pretty well. Yeah. Well, going off that, I guess, when should we start expecting trophies out of them? Like it, are they going to be underdogs forever or by season three or four or five uh, of this like continued success, should we start expecting them to challenge more for like the Copa Italia and Serie A as a whole? Well, I, I hope like, you know, it, I hope they're not going to be underdogs forever because, uh, you know, I, I already support Minnesota United. I can't, I can't have two teams <laughs> that are just going to chase trophies forever. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, they're doing well enough given that they're kind of in year four or so of this kind of rebuild. They also lost arguably their best player in recent memory in Papu Gomez right. uh, this January. So they've done immensely well considering that. Like he scored uh, in the like two months he actually played for them. He scored eight goals and assisted seven. Like they, they lost a big, a big piece of their team. So I, I think, you know, soon, I think soon enough. I think this next year, they, they should be picking up a trophy, challenging more consistently for Serie A, the Scudetto. But I hope it's not forever that they're underdogs. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's talk about Juve because they are the victors of this final, unfortunately for you. Uh, yeah. Fortunately for a lot of U.S. men's national team fans because we got to see Weston McKenney not only play, but start and get an assist on the first goal. And we're going to recap what actually happened in the game later on. But Juve this season have now won the Copa Italia, the Super Copa Italiana, but they did not win Serie A for the first time in almost a decade at this point. They only finished fourth place. So still barely in the Champions League spots, but still that that is, I would say, an underachieving season for Juve. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Do you, would you actually consider this a disappointing season or do you think two trophies, that's a success? Like if you were as a Juve super fan, would you still be upset? This is a disappointment. 100%. Okay. okay. This I is, they, they're supposed to be a giant and like, you know, they, how many points did they lose out on the Scudetto by like 12, 13 points? Maybe it, it, I think it's 13. Into Inter Milan right? was very much ahead. Like, exactly. like scarily ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they didn't just like lose this barely. They lost it by a lot. 
And also like, you know, the Copa Italia, cool. They won that super Copa, cool. But also the Champions League knockout to Porto in the yeah, round of 16. Oh my gosh, I, yeah. That's just, that's, that's terrible. Like they, they need to be reaching finals. That's like why they bought Ronaldo. That's why they, that's why they've invest, like tried to invest in this squad or like bring in players that they think would be good. Expensive players too, like Artur from Barcelona who barely got a game as well. But like, it just hasn't been good for them. It's, it's been a failure really. It, it, it really has not been good. And I don't think the Copa Italia is enough to hide that. All right. All right. Well, let's talk more about the problems of Juve another time. And let's move on to more, maybe a happier story happening. And that's Atletico Madrid winning La Liga. Uh, Jack, w- what do you see in, in this win? What do you think of Atletico Madrid season? Well, yeah, it's it's been a special season, no doubt. Uh, they They started off the season strong going, I believe, almost half the season completely unbeaten. They started to get a little bit more vulnerable at it as it went on. But at the end of the day, they win La Liga with a two-point cushion over their intercity rivals, Real Madrid, with 86 points, losing only four times. They've been very impressive. They've only conceded 25 goals over the course of the season and scored 67. They've been very impressive considering, you know, like last season, they didn't attack all that much. But this comes down to maybe one big addition. And, you know, Luis Suarez, you've got you. You can't talk about Atletico Madrid season without talking about Luis Suarez, because he was he was dismissed by Barcelona. They they shipped him out of the club. They said he didn't have a future. He was too old to be scoring goals. Eh, And then and then he got 21 goals in in a world where Barcelona keep Luis Suarez. They win the league this season, but they didn't. And they paid for it. And I think that, you know, they're going to, the the Barcelona front office is going to regret that for some time to come. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Atletico Madrid, first title since the 13-14 season, absolutely fantastic work by Diego Simeone and his, uh, and his group, you know, they've, they've done really well for themselves. And, you know, I, I mean, as a neutral really in La Liga, because I, I don't have strong feelings towards any team. For, except for liking some players uh, more than others. But, you know, I, it, it, it's just exciting to see someone other than Real Madrid and Barcelona win. But AJ, I'm going, given yeah. that I just talked about Luis Suarez, I'm going to quick throw it to you. Is Suarez's form, you know, he, 21 goals in a season, is that sustainable? Because he has another year left on his contract at Atletico. Is that form sustainable for him? I think not so much sustainable, but more adaptable, I suppose you could say. It's okay. he, he's getting up there in age. He's what thirty four at this point. Thirty four, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like he can keep playing this way forever. He's not going to bag in twenty one goals necessarily next season or the season after that if he extends his contract. But I'm more thinking about him being still a positive contributor for this team in a way that his role can be reduced. He can uh, maybe start from the bench if his legs really can't keep up. Like there are ways that Atletico Madrid can evolve their system to get the most out of him while still not having to rely on him as much, I would say. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about like an adaptable system, but you know, is, is the style that Simeone is employing 
really all that adaptable, I guess. That, that's see, the big question. You see, I, I actually think so. And one of the things okay, I, was, okay. I, I would talked about when I, was, when I was researching this or that I read about was how Simeone kind of has evolved his system to be more than just a defensive setup, especially this past season. And you can very much tell that by the fact that Atletico Madrid scored like 10 more goals than they usually have compared to the past four or so seasons. And according to uh, total football analysis, their passes per 90, average possession, and touches in the final third name drop have all increased. And this comes from unlocking the likes of Felix, Suarez, Lorente, like all those guys. And they have become a little bit more attack-minded, a little bit more aggressive. Not, not so much wanting to, to sit back and counterattack, but rather kind of be more dominant in possession. And so uh, I, I think the way that it's going, Suarez can be utilized pretty well. And I think that Simeone has a lot going for him uh, tactically going forward. Uh, yeah. But well, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you, what are some of the key contributing factors you think that led to Atletico Madrid winning La Liga this year? Well, there's quite a few. Uh, you know, Luis Suarez, we can wax lyrical about him all we want, but yeah. you've got to give credit to I, who I think is arguably the best goalkeeper in the world right oh, now. In Jan we're on the same page, yes. Yeah, because the only one who can really compete with him right now is maybe Manuel Neuer. And, you know, that yes. he's, I feel like he's going to compete with as, as like the goat of goalkeeping for the rest of his career. But Jan Oblak has been incredible. Like his, the way he makes saves, his reflexes are astonishing. The way, the way he moves, his positioning is excellent. He's, he's made important penalty stops, important saves. He has kept Atletico in games and in games where they drew, they ended up that, or uh, that they could have lost because of really good shots. They end up, they end up drawing because of Jan Oblak. And I think he deserves a lot of credit, but you know, it's it's not just him. Their midfield has been really good as well. Uh, you know, ever everyone's really been uh, contributing in there. Yannick uh, Carrasco. You've got um, Marcos Llorente, who's been playing kind of an attacking midfield, kind of striker, kind of central mid role. He moves all over, and of course, the duo of Saul and Coke, who have been dependable as always as their, for their entire career at Atletico. I I think you know. Every single part of this team has just leveled up over the between the past two seasons. And I think that's what it is, that mindset shift to level up. Yeah. I, I will also add, like you mentioned how much everything has leveled up. I think their transfer policy in getting those players has been really, really good the past couple seasons and yeah. allows them to get those players. You mentioned like Carrasco, uh, Suarez even. I'm going to butcher this name so hard. Condogbia. Yeah. Kondogbia. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. They were, they were all investments in the past two or so seasons and they're able to afford those players because a, they're pretty cheap to begin with. And B, they got somewhat some over 150 million euros for selling Griezmann and Partey. Like, and they're able to reinvest that to get those players and they still have some left over to reinvest even more in the next couple of seasons. Like they are the Kings of buying low and selling high and it just worked out so well for them they know when to strike when the iron is hot it's that's to me one of the big reasons outside of on the field performance that they have been doing 
so well. Jack, do you have anything else to say before we move on to perhaps another story? No, I, I think I think you've pretty much covered it. But you know, we've talked about Suarez, all of that, and you know how he's aged like a fine wine. Why don't AJ <laughs> you switch over to another striker who has aged like fine wine into some might say the finest. The finest wine, the finest aged wine. We are underage. We have no no idea what like anything about wine. I just know that the older it is, the better it is. And that reminds me of Robert Lewandowski, who broke Erd Mueller. Mueller. Ooh. <laughs> Mueller's 1972 record for most Bundesliga goals in a single season at 41 goals. He broke it. There you go. Doesn't matter what his first name is. Uh, Jack, I'm gonna list off a couple of facts just to like. Right. Really, like, drive this home. I want to get your reaction after this, right? So he broke the record uh, with 41 goals. Previous record was 40 goals set in 1972. To he scored it with the very last touch of the game against Augsburg. Mm-hmm. It, it was a rebound goal. He 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 got it in after almost 90 minutes of just every single Bayern player crossing it in, trying <laughs> to get him that goal. But. He only played 29 out of 34 matches because he was injured for uh, a little bit of it. And he still got 41 goals in 29 matches. He could have, he could have done more if he given those five extra matches. And he scored against every Bundesliga team this season, except RB Leipzig scoring against multiple teams, including heated rivals, Borussia Dortmund four times. And not just Borussia Dortmund, but like a lot of other teams as well. And, and on top of all of that, he's also the first player in Bundesliga history to be top scorer in four seasons in a row. Jack, with all these crazy facts, should he have won the Ballon d'Or last year? And additionally, should he win the Ballon d'Or this year? Uh, yes and yes. I'm going to start with that because here's the, I, I, the, thing, the thing about the Ballon d'Or, it's insanely political. It really is. Oh, like, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, the fact that Luka Modric won it in the era <laughs> of Ronaldo and Messi is just astonishing. And I, I'm, I'm still shocked that happened. I feel like they, uh, they rigged it wrong or something at, at the Ballon d'Or or something. That, that's all jokes. Please don't sue me French football. <laughs> uh, but uh, I honestly, like, I, I feel really bad for him because he deserved it. He, he was part of a historic team. He, he scored inc- crazy amounts of goals. And the quality of the goals, too, it wasn't like all penalties or something like that. It was, it was like a ton of fantastic goals, including like, what was it, five goals in nine minutes or something like that? He, he deserved to get the Ballon d'Or last year. And I think if, it, if it's held this year, he deserves it again because he is a big part of what makes this Bayern team what it is. Mm-hmm. He's what he, without him, there's no one up top to really finish chances. We saw that against, the PS, against PSG in the Champions League. Without him, this team doesn't run as smoothly. It's as simple as that. He makes the team so much better. Yeah. And do you think that, you know, he, he is Polish. He plays for the Polish national team. Usually when Ballon d'Ors happen, and it also coincides with a big international tournament like the Euros, like Copa America, right. like the World Cup, it usually requires to win it you doing really well at those international tournaments. Do you think that it's going to hurt him if Poland don't miraculously win the Euro tournament this year? Or do you think he still has at least a fighting chance to win the Ballon d'Or? Oh, I think he has a fighting chance. I mean, like, 
thinking about his main competitors and I'm talking Messi, Ronaldo, you know, those two who are always going to be up there, you know, he outscored both of them in the league. He out, he outscored both of them in less games to be clear. And, uh, he also made it further in the champions league with his team. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's already two point, two points really for him. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think even if Poland make like a decent run, you know, like I'm talking, getting into the, the like knockout rounds and making it maybe quarterfinals or better. Oh yeah. Taking a team like Poland like that it, to that level is an accomplishment because no offense. If there's any Polish listeners, the national team is not as good as several hey. others. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, if, if he can take, if he can go with that team to a decent level, I think he deserves it. It, it doesn't require him winning it in my opinion uh, because that's just the expectations just different. I think. Well, I, I, I also want him to win. However, I honestly don't think he will because I feel like yeah, I know. If you have Portugal do well, if you have Argentina do well in Copa America, if you have France do well, then you have a bunch of other players who did pretty decently in their clubs and also did well in the international tournament. I don't know. It's it's going to be hard when you have a resume that spans both the club and the international game. But we will see. Robert Lewandowski, congrats on getting those 41 goals. It was a treat to have you be so amazing this season. And another team that did amazing this season is Lille in Liga. Uh, Jack, as someone who's into French football, maybe not so much on the club side, you obviously wanted PSG to probably get at least a challenge, right? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know you're pretty fond of PSG and, and uh, am I, am I getting this wrong? No, I, you're I getting this like... wrong. I'm, I'm a Monaco fan. I don't, I don't know. I don't know where you're getting this. Don't you have a, do you not have a PSG Jersey? I do. I, I, I do because I like how it looks. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm guessing now you were pretty excited to see Lille win over PSG. So what do you look, what, what do you see in their season? How do you view it? Well, yeah, I mean, this season has been something special in league on PSG won, of course, seven out of the last eight league on titles, but Lille came through and disrupted their dominance. And what was behind it really for Lille? Well, there were a lot of interesting things. First is their defense, which was just incredible. They only conceded 23 goals over the course of the entire season, which is incredible while scoring, you know, a relatively modest total compared to the other top four in league on, but 64 goals, you know, they, they took a very mediocre looking squad on paper and turned them into a solid team that played together, lost together, just did everything together. They, they pushed through some really tough moments. Uh, I think, you know, if you're looking back at some of the best moments of, uh, of their season, there was the comeback win against Leon, which was incredible, you know, where, where they scored, where they, uh, where they went down at halftime. I think they were two nil down at halftime or two, one down at halftime. And they came back to win it three, two. And, you know, there's a lot of great players on this team. You have players that seem like they were past their prime, like with Barack Yilmaz, 35 years old. He still did incredible for them and scored 16 goals for them this season at 35. Very well done by him. You have CONCACAF stars in there. You have Timothy Weah and uh, Jonathan. Uh, I think it's David, not David, but I could be sure. mispronouncing that. <laughs> uh, but And their goalkeeper as well, who I think, as a French national team fan, I am so excited for him. 
because I think he's the future number one for France. Mike Mignon, absolutely incredible, makes some great saves, keeps them in games. Leo has been fantastic as a team. They're not, they're not great. They're not great because of like how PSG are, where they have some of the biggest names who can change games by themselves. They're great because they have a team that works together and wins or loses together and are with each other for better or for worse. And that's what makes them, that's what made them so good this season. Right. That's, that's what I think. But, you know, as I, I feel like after this happened, it immediately turned to next season uh, for a lot of people. And with that, AJ, I want to ask you, do you think PSG are going to be able to make a comeback next season or is Lille's form and their, you know, their squad, is it here to stay as the best in France? I think PSG make a comeback and I don't think Lille's form is here to stay. Uh, for two main reasons. One, I think if you give Pochettino the summer to you know try to get some more transfers, work with his squad a little bit more, uh, fix some of that midfield problems that they were having this season, you can get a PSG squad that is more ready for the season and will be a lot more dominant going into the next league uh, season. I don't know if this is actually true, but I have heard rumors that Lille's financial situation is not the best and there were rumors that they were they would have to potentially offload some of their players so if that is true and even if it's not true they can't really compete financially with psg so it's obvious like that there's a huge disconnect there but they're they're going to do they have to have to retool their squad a good amount going into next season regardless because they're going to have to not just build continuity but evolve and adapt uh, accordingly because if they don't well psg's financial power is just going to drive a gap that they have closed this season uh, jack do you think that leo's form is here to stay or are you on the the psg hype train as i am uh, i'm not sure if it's here to stay but i really do hope like this kind of competitiveness in league on okay, is here yeah, to yeah. stay I, I hope it's not just going to be PSG for like another eight years until someone else comes along and disrupts it. I hope like, you know, Leon and Monaco were pretty close to making some waves in this title race as well. And I, I think like, you know, if we can at least get a title race next year, it would be fantastic uh, because, you know, the one, uh, like you said, there's a, not just Lille who might have some financial troubles almost every club in French football is having a lot of financial troubles because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of troubles with competitiveness and all that. So I, I'm not necessarily on the PSG hype train because I don't want to be, uh, I I'm going to go on my Monaco hype train probably alone. Uh, and, uh, but okay. I, I'm hope, I'm hoping that there will be some more title challenges in the future. Do you, who do you think is most likely to mount a challenge to PSG? Do you think Lille, could could is the front runner to do that or do you think the likes of Lyon or Monaco can do it Ooh, it's it's either it's either Lille or Monaco and the only reason why I'm not saying Lyon is it is because it seems like Memphis Depay is going yes. to leave and if he leaves that's 20 of their goals gone every season mm-hmm. and that that basically makes like their attack significantly worse so I I think it's got to be Lille or Monaco. I think Monaco is actually pretty promising. Wissam Ben Yedder, Kevin Valland, Alexander Golovin, all really good players who 
can make some waves. They just have to fix up their defense if they want to make a challenge. But Leo are probably in the prime position to do it just because they already have a good squad that can challenge. Uh, Jack, why don't you say we move on to the real quick section because we have some things that we'd like to talk about. Uh, number one is PSG winning the Coupe de France, which is their cup competition. We're going to talk about that game specifically in the prediction section. We also had Aguero scoring his 180, 184th and 185th goal, I believe, for Man City. He broke Wayne Rooney's record for most Premier League goals for a single team. Uh, Jack, do you want to talk about Napoli and Gattuso? Yeah, well, I'll talk about these last two because they're both about managers yeah. leaving their teams. Uh, you know, Gennaro Gattuso, as soon as Napoli uh, were done tying with Hellas Verona, dropping out of the Champions League places, uh, Gennaro Gattuso, who won them the Coppa Italia last season, was fired after he, he kind of saved their season last season, did pretty well this season, but it looks like that wasn't good enough. And fair enough, Napoli have been a pretty dominant force. It'll be interesting to see where he goes next. Maybe Tottenham? I don't know. Uh, but then we also had Nuno Espirito Santos leaving at Wolves. That's going to be weird because, you know, I, as, as long as I've known Wolves, at least the, he's been their manager. And yeah. it's, it's been like the part of the running joke that it's a Portuguese national team V2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it will be interesting to see where he goes first uh, next because he, he's been a good manager, maybe not as good this season as before, but he has some really good talent and, It'll be interesting to see where he goes. And I want to make one other note. Uh, Roy Hodgson, longtime manager, uh, retired as well, playing out his last game with Crystal Palace uh, against Liverpool. Unfortunate to lose for him, but hey, that's how he, that's how he played most of his games. That's how he's going <laughs> on, saving a team from relegation and finishing comfortably mid-table as always. Yeah, congratulations to all those managers. Hopefully they find some, uh, some greener pastures elsewhere let's go on to uh, jack's section the the not, i was gonna say going jack in time that's that that's wow, not wow. what we're talking about we're talking about jack's lower league lowdown it was a pretty interesting weekend for the english football league pyramid jack why don't you talk about all the happenings with the playoffs yeah well i'm just gonna i'm just gonna take a rundown of the three different tiers and setting up the playoff finals, kind of giving you a preview for each of those. So I'm going to start with the uh, with the championship, you know, the one that most people are probably following more than the others. And we, we have two teams in the final, Brentford, who won 3-2 on aggregate over Bournemouth, and Swansea, who won 2-1 on aggregate overall against Barnsley. Unfortunately, Daryl DK is out of the playoffs uh, but and unfortunate for USMNT fans, but this is going to be still a very fun matchup to watch. Brentford are heavy favorites in this matchup. They they finished seven points higher than the Swans in the regular season, and Brentford have, in my opinion, a much more complete team. And each of the, but that's not to say that Swansea aren't uh, aren't going to you know just fold over and do nothing. Each of these teams has some great danger men for them. Brentford, of course, have the legend, Ivan Tony. He broke the championship record for most goals in a single season with 31 goals. Uh, that's impressive. He can change games all by himself. And you also have Marcus Force and Brian Mbuemo, who also contributed quite a few goals, double digits for both of them for Brentford. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. On Swansea, you have Andre Ayew, who scored 15 goals, and Jamal Lowe, who scored 10. They both have each of these teams have very 
potent strike forces. So who wins out amongst these two? And I think the big thing is I ultimately I can't see anyone else other than Brentford, even though they've bottled so many playoff finals. They they have solid attackers. Ivan Tony just it has more goals than all of Swansea's front line combined. And plus, you know, Brentford's defense is solid too. Pontus Jansen and Ethan Pinnock, who are both really good players who I think have earned call-ups to their national teams. Uh, they're just a better team overall. They're more complete than Swansea. And because of that, I'm going with Brentford to get promoted to the Premier League for the first time. And 538 agrees with me, giving Brentford a 72% chance of promotion. Of course, don't trust 538 on everything. After all, it's just probability. But I'm just, I'm just pointing that out. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go on down the pyramid to the one that admittedly I am the least uh, involved in, the one I've had the least interest in, and that is League One. In that we have Lincoln City, who won 3 to one aggregate over Sunderland, who probably were favorites to get promoted, and Blackpool, who won 6 through an aggregate, playing out an a incredible thriller, a six-goal thriller against uh, Oxford United, where they drew 3-3 on, on the night. That was a really fun game to watch. But Blackpool are favored in this. I'm going to start with that. Although they finished only three points ahead in the regular season, their defense is so much better. Blackpool conceded only 37 goals in the season, and Lincoln conceded 50. Lincoln has a slightly better attack than them, though, and that's that's emphasized by their midfielders, George Grant and Anthony Scully, who had 17 goals each, which is incredible. They, they made up over half of their team's goals. They're, they're going to be people to watch out for. But if Blackpool can neutralize them, they should be fine. Blackpool only really have two standout players, but one really in Jerry Yates, who got 21 goals, third in League One overall. And Ellis Sims, who is on hot form right now, scoring in uh, twice in that six-goal thriller against Oxford. So who is going to win in this? I'm going to go for Blackpool on this one. Uh, despite only having one really good center forward in Jerry Yates, their defense is miles better than Lincoln. Their goalkeeper, Chris Maxwell, posted 21 clean sheets this season in 43 appearances, almost a clean sheet every other game. A good defense is crucial against Lincoln's attack in here, and I think that's what's going to help them out. Even though they haven't beaten Lincoln City this season, draw, drawing one and losing the other, I'm giving them the edge, given their recent form is way better four wins and one loss versus Lincoln's really unfortunate one win, two drawn, two loss recent form. 538 gives Blackpool a 61% chance of promotion. I'm going to, I'm going to trust in them, but with that, I'm going to my favorite of the, of the pyramid <laughs> league two. And if you saw our Twitter, I was tweeting about this game, uh, the game nonstop between Newport County and four screen Rovers. One of the best games I've ever watched. I, if I'm being honest, but let, let, let me just jump into what this final is going to be. Morecambe, who won 3-2 on aggregate over, I forgot who they won over, but they won over someone. For uh, I, I can't remember for the life of me. I forgot to write it down on my notes. But Newport County won 5-4 on aggregate over four screen rovers uh, with a 119th minute, wi- uh, well, not winner, winner on aggregate. Uh, it was really the third goal for them. Seven goals overall in the game today absolutely incredible but you know this is probably the most even of these three finals and it's going to be a fun game as a newport county fan both have been great this season and each has a strength newport had the third best defense in the league and morecambe had the third best attack 
What makes Newport so dangerous, though, is their fluid 3-5-2 system where everyone has a goal-scoring threat, including their goalkeeper, who scored, if I'm being honest, a Puskas-level winning goal for uh-huh. the longest goal in world history. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, nobody has more than 10 goals on their team, but almost everyone has more than five, it seems. And that's pretty impressive. Uh, Dangerman for each of their uh, each of the teams. Morgan has Carlos Mendes Gomez, who has 15 goals this season. He's been really impressive. But Newport have uh, three real really big players: Padraig Almond, who had nine goals; Josh Labadee, who had six goals. He scored one today off the bench, and Maddie Dolan, who had seven goals. Who wins in this one? You can call me biased if you want. I'm going to say it's going to be Newport County. The fact everyone has a goal threat, plus the grit they showed against Forest Green Rovers, this is a good team that can overcome the toughest of challenges. Add in that they have a best 11 defender uh, for the EFL League 2 in Mickey Dimitriou, who was absolutely a rock at the back for them at times. And I have a really good feeling about this team. It also helps that Newport County have really had Morecambe's number this season, winning both encounters, 2-1 and 3-1. And Kevin Ellison, the 42-year-old who scored, who is the oldest goal scorer in the EFL promotion playoffs in history. I I, I don't know if I mentioned his age. 42 years old. That's impressive. He has something to prove against his old club and the manager who kicked him out of the team and forced him out of training. So this is going to be an exciting game to watch. 538 only gives Newport County a 47% chance of promotion. I don't care. I'm going for him anyways. So that's that's the EFL pyramid. But I wanted to give one quick shout out uh, because I know USMNT fans care about this guy a lot. In the two in the second Bundesliga, two Bundesliga, however you say it, Julian Green, American midfielder, won promotion with Greuther Firth going up to the Bundesliga. Two American souls for one uh, in, in, <laughs> the, in, the, in the Bundesliga, and you know it's it, he he was impressive. He scored today as well to send them up. That that's impressive. I'm excited to see what uh, what all these USMNT fans are raving about uh, personally. So I. We'll be looking forward to see if he can keep Greuther Firth up next season. And with that, that is the lower league lowdown. I'm not sure what I'm going to do next week because almost all the lower leagues are going to be done, but we'll figure something out. And with that, that's all I have. All right, cool. We can always talk about what actually happens uh, in in the playoff finals. That that should be exciting. I was. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully some of those are right for your sake, especially Newport Newport County. County. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Up the mighty exiles. You know, I'll I'll watch that with you in in solidarity, even though that's... All right, all right. Isn't that the same day as the Champions League final? I'm going to have them both on, bro. uh, Two of my teams potentially winning finals. Actually, no, going to win finals. All right. I'm just going to say it. Speaking into existence, I like it, I like it. Right. All right, well, let's move on to the U.S. Men's National Team Corner, which is my section. And uh, so basically... What this is, we talk about the big things, the big narratives happening within the U.S. men's national team. And so U.S. soccer released the roster for the game against Switzerland on the 29th. And it's getting ready for the Nations League tournament happening in June. And from the first impressions for the people on Twitter and for me especially, it seems like a pretty exciting lineup that's going to kind of introduce us to a new look team. So I thought I'd A, list off some of the interesting names that are on the list, and B, talk about what it tells us about the direction that U.S. men's national team is going. 
So I don't want to like list off every single name because that's kind of boring and you could look it up, but I'm going to list the names that I thought were pretty interesting that they were included and going off with a uh, goalkeepers first, we don't have Matt Turner or Zach Steffen. So we have Ethan Horvath, Chituru Odunze and David Ochoa, very young lineup for that. Uh, interesting defenders that I thought were, uh, that were in there that I thought wouldn't necessarily be lock in picks for this camp are Justin Shea, which is a youngster out of Bayern Munich, uh, Ryan Reynolds out of Roma, and DeAndre Yedlin from Galatasaray. Midfields, we have some MLS players. It's a very European-based camp, but we also do have some midfielders that come from MLS. We have Kellen Acosta, Colorado Rapids, Sebastian Legette, LA Galaxy, and Jackson Ewell, San Jose Earthquakes. But that's not even the most interesting midfielder that Greg Berhalter decided to call up. It's Julian Green, which Jack just mentioned in the, the lower league lowdown from Greuther first. He has had a really good season with them and for him to be included is pretty cool for not just us men's fans who love to love to just like goggle after him he like everyone loves julian green for some reason just in the past couple of weeks but also for you know it's cool for him as well uh in forwards we have daryl dk going with the with the a team for the first time in a in a in a, in a good while brendan aronson with uh, RB Salzburg, Matthew Hoppy getting his first call up from Schalke, as well as Jordan Siabachu, who's had a good season with Young Boys. So now I'm going to talk about some of the notable exceptions. As I mentioned before, Stefan and Christian Pulisic are not going to be with uh, the camp, at least for this first game. That's because the Champions League is on the same day, the final for that. Aaron Long and Chris Richards are out due to injury. And Matt Turner and Zardes aren't here, even though they probably could have a good shot for the top 23 uh, they are probably getting saved for the Gold Cup slash maybe their MLS teams didn't really want to send them out. And now let's talk about what it tells us about the U.S. men's national team. I have five very short things I want to I want to highlight about this very interesting roster. Uh, and the first is Burhalter is willing to give you a, a look if you're playing well. That's the first thing that tells us about this roster because Hoppy from Schalke has been playing well for a bad team and despite being young got a look julian green has been out of these men's national team picture for years but he's had an insane season for Greuther firth getting them promoted and has earned a look himself uh same story with deandre yedlin and galatasaray if you're good enough greg berhalter will give you a look number two dual nationals for the u.s men's national team remain a priority Justin Shea is a 17-year-old center back on loan to Bayern Munich from FC Dallas, and Bayern are looking to make that deal permanent. He's also eligible for Germany, and it's clear Burhalter wants him to see the USMNT set up and hopefully get him to buy in and declare for the USA. He's been hyped up as Bayern's center back for the, the very, very long-term future, so if we can land him, that would be huge. Number three, there are still huge question marks at goalkeeper. Our goalkeeper list for this friendly is a senior goalkeeper who's made like two appearance, appearances for his Belgian league club, a youngster at Leicester City, and a guy who just this season is getting starts for Real Salt Lake. We're missing Stefan and also Matt Turner, who is probably our number two. So this is a great camp to see who is our number three goalkeeper, while Turner is likely to be saved for the Gold Cup roster. Uh, and that'd be pretty cool because it'll see him get 
up to six games with him being like the goalkeeper that we rely on. So this is a big, big camp for goalkeeper evaluation. And it's also going to be a big camp for right center back evaluation. Because the other fact that we learned through this roster is number four, we still don't know who starts next to Brooks. Brooks is obviously our best left center back in the pool. But even with Long and Richards healthy, we still didn't really know who would be our best right center back. Now, with both of them injured, the options get even more confusing. We have Mark McKenzie and Matt Miazga, who are good options, but neither of them have stepped up to a level that makes them the clear-cut option. We also have uh, Tim Ream, who is a likely option, even though he, I would say, is more of a left center back. And we also have Justin Shea, but I think he might be a little too young to roll him out in a, in a high-stakes friendly. So in conclusion, this is a camp that we can use to maybe evaluate that right center back spot some more. If I was a betting man, I'd probably put it down on Matt Miazga because he has a lot of experience. But number five, the last fact that we learn through this roster is our forwards are very exciting. Aronson, DK, Hoppy, Reyna, Sargent, Siobachu, and Wea all had good to great seasons this year, with four of the seven getting a trophy. Add in Pulisic once he comes in from camp, and you'll have a truly dynamic front three. For the first time in a long time, I'm actually pretty confident in not just our starting front three, but I also think our backup front three is interesting as well. You have, with the starting front three, Sargent, Pulisic, and Reyna, and behind them, probably DK, Aronson, and Wea. Those are good options, and we'll need that amount of depth and possibly even more going into a jam-packed World Cup qualifying season this fall. Those are the five things that I got out of this roster. We're going to learn about the actual Nations League roster this coming week. Uh, So stay tuned for our takes on that on Twitter at Final Third Show. And that is it for the U.S. Men's National Team Corner. We talk about a big narrative thing going on in the USMNT uh, Twitterverse and more. Let's go on to our last week's predictions where we uh, go over the big games that we made predictions for last week. Uh, Jack, do you want to introduce the section and tell us the scoring system for this game? Yeah, well, as always, you get 10 points if you get the correct winner and 20 points if you get the exact scoreline correct and zero points if you get none of that right. So let's kick it off with the EFL Championship Promotion semifinal first leg. That's a mouthful between Bournemouth <laughs> and Brentford. And this one did not go the way we thought. Uh, I'll, I'll just all. start with that. Not at all. Uh, we, we said that this was going to be Brentford all the way. Uh, Ivan Tony was going to come through and be the hero, but no. Uh, Bournemouth actually won this, this first leg with a lone goal uh, coming from Danjuma Groeneveld. The Netherlands winger was able to get past the Brentford defense and score in the 55th minute of the game. That Overall, this wasn't the most exciting of games. Uh, I, I honestly like wasn't too invested in this one. I was more invested in the Swansea versus Barnsley game personally. But I, I, I don't think many people expected, you know, Bournemouth to make it through. But that's what happened. And yeah, AJ, what do you have to say about this game? I think, well, A, we know what happened in the second leg, right? Right. right. We know that it, this lone goal by Zanjuma was all for naught, and they got pounded. Uh, but for this game, huge ups to the Bournemouth defense, who I think deserve the credit for the win. Despite 11 shots from Brentford and an XG of 1.81 out of Brentford, they kept a clean sheet. 
So big ups to Cook, Lloyd Kelly, Adam Smith. No, not that one. <laughs> and American Karen <laughs> Carter Vickers. Uh, th- they did pretty well. And of course, their defense was the one that uh, fell apart in the second leg, thanks to center back Chris uh, Mepfam getting sent off, which led to a, a 3-1 routing. But for this game specifically, they did pretty good. Uh, Jack, what were our scores for this game? Yeah, so you guessed uh, 1-0 to Brentford, and I guessed uh, 2-0 to Brentford. Uh, we got that wrong, and because of that, we both got zero points. But let me take us over to Italy, where sure. uh, pain ensued for me, at least, and <laughs> happiness ensued for the USMNT fan and you. Yeah. Uh, the Copa Italia final occurred on Wednesday, Atalanta versus Juventus. Uh, it, I, I mean, a- AJ... AJ backed Juventus, I backed Atalanta, and it looked like, you know, Atalanta's had the better of the starting minutes, but Juventus got the first goal over what I believe probably should have been a foul on uh, on Robin. Get out of here. (laughs) I'm I'm going to defend defend Atalanta, but uh, Dejan Kulosevsky, I I couldn't even be mad about that goal. It was too good. Mm -hmm. It, It was too good. It was a curled effort into the corner, perfectly placed. Uh, and Weston McKenney assisted that one to make it 1-0. But then the Ukrainian GOAT, Ruslan Malinovsky, struck back in the 41st minute with a Hans Hatabor assist to make it 1-1. And while you know Juventus really grew into this game in the second half, started to take control, and Federico Chiesa was ultimately the winner, and he got a goal in the 73rd minute, almost exactly the same as Kulisevsky's goal. Or close to, uh, I'm actually thinking of a miss he had. Uh, This one, I think, was more of a tap-in. That's my bad, remembering this run. But Kulisevsky assisted on that one as well. And in the 88th minute, Rafael Toloi, Atalanta's captain, got a red card after being substituted off or protesting on the bench. Uh, Overall, not an ideal game for Atalanta. But AJ, what do you think about this one? In my mind, I think this game was won in the midfield, right? I've been toying with this saying. Let Let me know what you think about it, right? Games are won in the final third, right? If you want to win a game, you do well in the final third. If you want to not lose a game, you have to win in the middle third. And that's what happened here, right? Like, like the winning in the middle third is a necessary but insufficient burden for a team to win. Uh, and with Juve's midfield being pretty bad this year, it was pretty interesting to see them actually do yeah. well this 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 game, which is completely uncharacteristic of them. Uh, Bentoncourt and Rabio combined to win 14 duels. And wow. Chiesa and McKenney had goal contributions that were pretty great. And not to mention the man of the match, uh, Kulusevsky, who had an assist and a spectacular curling goal of his own. And you go to the flip side. Atalanta's midfield wasn't really great. Darun and, uh, how do you pronounce that? Uh, Darun and Froehler. And Froehler, okay. The midfield... That midfield wasn't as effective dealing with uh, the Juve attack. Uh, Jack, do you have anything to say about that Atalanta team? Well, I I think like you know they they just got kind of outplayed. The pace they got burned with pace really. That that's what it is. Their center backs we we committed too many forward, which works out sometimes, but just didn't work out this time. But I also want to note Ronaldo was kind of invisible in this game, uh, and, and I feel like I've said that a lot when we talk about. These really big games for Juve, but he's kind of been invis- He was kind of invisible in this one. He didn't really contribute that much. 
but you know, I guess, I guess it didn't really matter all that much. And, and, and that's the way that I think Juve should be playing where even if, be, yeah. if Ronaldo doesn't show up, they still have outputs, which Kai's like the fact that they also won this past game without Ronaldo playing to end off the season kind of brings yeah, in the question whether or not he's necessary. So uh, I said uh, two to one to Juventus got 20 points. Jack said two to one to Atalanta. I got zero points. Can't forget that also because, you know, I got the point. So I should be proud yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But going back to Monaco and PSG, uh, PSG one, two to zero. And I'm, I'm kind of confused. Monaco, were lifeless they had more shots than psg created similar amounts of solid chances and yet at no point to ever really feel like they could manage to win this game uh jack what went wrong for monaco uh everything really oh, they just no. did not they just did not show up uh yeah. you know they they let they let too many simple mistakes pile up and ultimately a team like psg is going to punish you when you make those mistakes and I, I also know this is just karma for what I said la uh, in last <laughs> week's episode, because I said, one, Mauro Riccardi has been terrible this season. He scored the opening goal, of course. And I also said, let me let me get the exact quote here because I wrote it down. I'm just going to say it. And you can you can say it. You can repeat this back to me if you want. Uh, Vissam Ben Yedder, Kevin Volland and Alexander Golovin <laughs> are greater than Neymar, Kylian Mbappe and Mauro <laughs> So uh I was very wrong. That's right, uh, buddy. That's they, they looked very lifeless. This was not the Monaco team I like to see. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 it happens. It's just karma, I guess. That, that's what it feels like. I do want to go back to what I, I said last week, because you, you, know, you also went back to what you said last week. Yeah. When I said these teams are focusing on the leagues, there's still so much to play for. But PSG is better equipped to deal with that. They have the depth to put out a decent team. And even when Neymar, you know, wasn't playing, they still had Icardi and Di Maria step up as well as Mbappe being as good as he always is. Meanwhile, Monaco's team with Ben Yedder and, and Voland and all these other guys, they kind of looked gassed or even yeah. uninterested at some points. It, it, it was kind of night and day between like the quality of the teams, not just in terms of like raw quality, but just what they were willing to put out on the field. And if, if Monaco had more rests probably, or had like the league, their position in the league wrapped up, I think they could have actually put up a challenge and potentially win this. The points for Monaco versus PSG. Great for me, not great for Jack. I said two to zero, got it on the, the nose. Uh, 20, uh, 20 points for me, Jack, three to two for Monaco. Uh, an Icardi yeah. goal and Mbappe goal really sealed it for me. Jack, not so much, not yeah. so much. Maybe if Monaco and Ben Yedder could have scored three more goals, uh, you, you would have gotten on the money. If, but only. if, if only. only, if only. All right, now let's move on to Atletico versus Madrid versus Real Valladolid. All 11 La Liga titles that Atletico Madrid have won have been decided on the last day, except for one. It's always been tight, and this game was tight. Real Valladolid went bar for bar, pound for pound with the eventual champions, posing with eight chances created. Uh, however, Suarez is inevitable, and he finished the season with 21 goals at 34 years old. Insane. Uh, Jack, did you see anything here that really caught your eye? 
I mean, in this game, I, I think it's just the fight back, and it just shows how much Atletico Madrid wanted this win, how much they wanted this league title. Uh, and, of course, it, it was only fitting that Luis Suarez was the last goal scorer from, for them this season. This finished with a 2-1 to one win for Atletico Madrid. A Plano goal for Real Valladolid put them up early, but a Correa and Suarez goal sealed the deal for Atletico Madrid, not just in this game, but in the league as well. They won 2-1. to one. I said a 1-0 win for Atletico Madrid. Jack said 3-0. to zero. Both 10 points for us. Jack, do you want to take us to France for our final game, Lille versus Ungers in Liga? Yeah, well, we picked, we picked this game because we thought it could be a title decider, and that's exactly what it turned out to be. Uh, this ended up finishing 2-1 to one to Lille as a title decider, securing them as the champions of France. They got the party kicking off in the first half, scoring two. Uh, Canadian striker Jonathan David scored in the 10th minute with a Renato Sanchez assist, and Brock Yilmaz, 35-year-old Turkish goat, scored in the uh, 45th plus one minute and on a penalty kick to make sure they had a solid halftime lead. Ongers really didn't look like taking back uh, a lead or really getting back into this game. And they only got a consolation in the 90 plus second minute with Fulgini getting a goal in there. But this cements Lille's first title win in at least a while. I don't know exactly how long, but breaking up PSG's supremacy in league on. AJ, anything to add to that? Go Tim Wea. Go Tim Wea. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's all. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, uh, AJ got guessed zero to three on this one. He gets 10 points. I guess zero to one. So I'll get 10 points. But uh, overall, the, the final scores for this, this was not good for me. AJ ended up with 60 points. Yeah. I think that might be a record for most points. And I got 20. So at least I didn't get zero like AJ has a few times. Aha. Got on the way to roast them. Okay. Way to roast them still. <laughs> but I know I've gotten zero before too, but I I I did not have a good week. I'm just masking the pain. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, maybe this week you can come back. I think I've been pretty dominant we'll the, the last couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, you have. But you know, we have a very diverse set of games that we're covering. We're going to start this off with Switzerland versus USA. It's the international friendly first game for the U.S. men's national team uh, since France. I'll start this off because I'm a pretty big U.S. national team fan. It's an interesting test for the USA, uh, given that Switzerland are number 13 in the world in FIFA rankings. Uh, even more interesting that until USA's victory over Northern Ireland this past window, they went 2,118 games, uh, days, I should say, not games, uh, <laughs> not winning in Europe against a European team. So this is going to be a huge uphill battle for the U.S. They're missing their number one goalkeeper and their number one attacker in Zach Steffen and Christian Pulisic, as well as center backs Chris Richards and Aaron Long. And on the Swiss side, obvious names people will know are the likes of Granit Xhaka and Sheridan Shakiri, but also look out for Abriel Mbolo and Ruben Vargas as they're young, but pretty impactful for the Swiss team. I think it'll be a game that the U.S. grows into, but given their track record in Europe, I'm going to say that the Swiss will dominate for the most part, and the U.S. will have to find the cracks in their game plan. Uh, I'm going to say it's a one-to-one draw uh, between Switzerland and the USA. Jack, what do you say? I think this is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I, I, the U.S. are missing good players. Yeah, and it's it's going to be a tough game because Switzerland are really good. I also want to mention, of course, Raymond Freuler, 
because and uh because you know he's an Atalanta player gotta mention him but ultimately because this is a friendly this is a this is a warm-up game uh you know the U.S. has the gold cup and Nations League and uh Switzerland have the Euros so that that's what that's what this is for and because of that I and I don't think these teams are going to be completely gelled together yet and because of that I think you know, Switzerland's usual defensive solidity isn't going to be good. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of scrappy goals. I'm saying this is going to be 3-2 to Switzerland. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, I like the boldness. I like how we're kind I, of pessimistic about the U.S. chances, too. So if they win, uh, I, I, I guess we'll take the zero points for both of us. Yeah. Uh, let's go on to MLS, LA Galaxy versus San Jose, an OG MLS rivalry, the Cali Classico. On one hand, you have LA Galaxy who, who can go hot and then very, very cold, losing to Portland this past weekend, but winning against Austin LAFC with the likes of Julian Araujo, Legette, and Chicharito all playing out of their minds. And on the other hand, you have San Jose Earthquakes, who started the season pretty strongly, but then finally played good teams in Portland, Seattle, and Kansas City and lost to all three. On paper, this should be a textbook win for the Galaxy, but you'd be wrong. Since Almeida joined the Quakes in 2018, the Quakes are winning the series 4-2-2. to two to two. But this is a new era with Greg Vanny at the helm for the Galaxy, so who knows what's going to happen. I think the Galaxy are going to get humbled at Dignity Sports Stadium as Almeida once again proves that he can go round for round with whatever the Galaxy put out. I'm going with another 1-1 draw. Jack, are you on the LA Galaxy Chicharito hype train? Well, you know I don't like the LA Galaxy, but I'm going to go for them anyway because okay. Chicharito's form has been red hot, really, to start the season. He has been very good considering, you know, the terrible intro season he had. And because of that, uh, you know, San Jose have been playing kind of they're, – they're both inconsistent. I'll just say that. Both teams are inconsistent. But I think LA Galaxy are just going to give – just going to edge this out. I think it's going to be two to one to the LA Galaxy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other way either, though. All right, all right. Well, as seeing as you are our lower league expert, why don't you walk us through Brentford FC and Swansea City one more time and who you think is going to win? Yeah, well, uh, as I said, I think Brentford are going to take this. You know, Ivan Tony. again, I'm going to say it. He's unstoppable. He's a great player. Uh, if he, if he's not getting promoted to this, he's going to be in the premier league next season, one way or another, much like Saeed Benrahma, a, a solid Brentford attacker and Ollie Watkins, they just mm-hmm. produce good attackers and hopefully they'll be able to make it into the premier league this time. I think Ivan Tony carries this and they have the motivation after losing the playoff final last season, it, after two really late goals from a left back of all people, uh, and Joe Bryan to, uh, from Fulham. I think Brentford are going to take this one. I'm going to say it's going to be two to zero as well. I, th- I, I'm not too convinced by Swansea this season. They've been inconsistent. Brentford have been good. That's what seals it for me. All right. Well, I also said two to zero. So I'm changing it to three to one to Brentford. Okay. Actually, this is actually a rematch of the EFL championship playoff semifinals from last year where Brentford right. won three to two on aggregate. And, you know, as we all know, it's a huge game for Brentford. They haven't been in the top flight for 74 years. Uh, they've, I think they've had the record for entering the promotion playoffs the most in the EFL championship, but failing to qualify for, for uh, promotion nine times. So yep. 
if they make it a 10th, that's actually going to be embarrassing. So yes, it will be. Swansea have been here before, but that doesn't mean they're well-equipped. I think Brentford have what it takes there. As you said before, a fuller team, I'm going three to one to Brentford. Now let's go on to the European finals. Villarreal versus Manchester United Europa league, uh, final. It's going to be a big game. It's an uphill battle for Villarreal who are entering their first major final for, I don't even know how long, maybe their first ever. I don't think they've, they've been to the final for uh champions league or Europa league. So it's been a long time if it, if they, if they have made it, but yeah, yeah it, it, they're fairly near to this. Yeah. But because of that, I will say all the pressure is on Manchester United to perform. So the pressure is off of Villarreal and they can just keep playing their game the way that they want to play it. And Villarreal have been playing decently getting, you know, pretty positive results against Sevilla. But uh, uh, yeah, Manchester United, however, is interesting because they're while they're favorites, they've also been struggling in terms of overall fitness and fatigue. They had to play that week where they had three or four uh, games within a, an eight-day period. That's very hard on their players. And but, even though Fernandez, Cavani, and Rashford are pretty good players and have been playing pretty well, their output has dropped off compared to the beginning of the season, whether it's fatigue or just a slump in form it doesn't really matter what it necessarily got caused by, but what I think is going to be the X factor here is the fact that Villarreal are the, the underdogs. They, they want to win and really going against a tired machine can, in my mind, only lead to positive results. Even if they don't win, I think they'll put up a good fight, but I'm going to have them with just slightly, slightly ahead on two to one towards Villarreal. Jack, are you backing Manchester United or Villarreal here? I didn't want to back Manchester United, but I did anyways, and here's why. The, the last two games, they haven't played like any of their starters, like normal starters. They, they basically played an academy team uh-huh. uh, the, this last week or this last day against Wolves, and they still won. Uh, I, I, think, I think that's something to note. I mean, Manchester United is a good team altogether. They, they're missing Harry Maguire, which is going to hurt them. Right. But Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, Edinson Cavani, uh, Mason Greenwood, just all, all of them together. Uh, Scott McTominay, he'll probably do something crazy and score like a halfway line screamer or something okay, because he that, always oh seems my, to do something yeah. like that. But, uh, you know, Villarreal, Gerard Moreno, I think he could cause a lot of problems. But ultimately... I'm going to go with United on this. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a less risky side, I think, maybe, uh, on this. And uh, I'm, I'm going for the exact opposite you had, 2-1 to one to United. All right, all right. Well, good thing we're, we're coming up with opposite results so we don't just uh, predict the same way. And something tells me that we might actually predict different ways on this final. I, I, have, a feel, I have a feeling we might. <laughs> Where this is Manchester City versus Chelsea FC in the Champions League final, the ultimate game in club soccer. I'm going to let Jack start this off because he is a Chelsea fan. Jack, are you backing the Blues once more? What do you think? Of course <laughs> I'm backing them. Of course I'm backing them. I, 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 I can't. I, if, if we're entering a European final, I'm not going to bet against my team. I'm, I'm speaking it into existence. Chelsea, you know, they had a disappointing end to the season, but I think they are a good enough team to do this. They beat Real Madrid. They beat Atletico Madrid. They beat Porto. That might not be as impressive as the other ones, but they 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 deserve to be here. They they have a good system that when everything is clicking, 
it really clicks. And if that happens, and if N'Golo Conte is, is back, which he, I believe he is expected to be, I, th- I think this game is definitely winnable for Chelsea. And ultimately, I, this, this might be... I, I'm just going to go for a 1-0 win for Chelsea. I'm going to say that if they win, it's going to be really conservative. I don't because they don't score a ton. That's that's my thinking on this. And come on, you blues. Let's do it. All right. All right. Keeping it simple. I like it. Just uh, pure fandom. Uh, pure feeling, pure yeah, fe- feeling your decision. I, I, I respect it. If I was in that position, I'd, I would be the exact same, honestly. Uh, this is going to be an interesting matchup. I'm very happy that we're going to be uh, watching it. It's going to be two really stellar defenses going at each other. And I think the deciding factor lies with how Tuchel decides to line Chelsea up. If he goes for what he knows works versus if he tries to react to City too much is the big battle in his mind that I'm going to be keeping track of. Because he could pull a pep and overthink the matchup. Kind of like what I think he did against Leicester in the FA Cup final, where he benched Havertz and Pulisic and played Azpilicueta as a wing back and Reese James kind of tucked in inside as like that center back role. The I don't right know if you, center back, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, and that kind of was in a reaction to Leicester City. And obviously that didn't really pay off in the end. But if, if he can stick to the game plan that he knows works throughout the entire season, I think they'll win. But I don't think that he's going to do that. I think he's going to bench Pulisic. And this Man City side is such a well-oiled machine that I think any mistake that he puts out into his tactics, they can and will exploit. So I'm going with a 2-0 win to Manchester City. Do I want Chelsea to win because Christian Pulisic was an active contributor in this campaign? Yes. But do I want to have Manchester City win so I can rub it in your face and also get potentially 20 points. Oh. Also, yes. Oh. Also, yes. Oh. I, I'm, I'm just going with pure faith. Like you said, it, it, it wouldn't feel right if I did any other thing. I may lose, but I, it would, if, I, if I got points from City beating Chelsea, it wouldn't feel right. All right, all right. I respect it, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. And with that, that is the end of our episode. Jack? Do you have anything to say to our listeners listening right now? Well, make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. Interact with the tweets on there. Follow along as we tweet about, you know, I'm going to be tweeting about all of the lower league stuff I know, all of these playoff finals, because I think they're going to be exciting. We're going to be, we're going to be tweeting about the Champions League final, Europa League final, as this season wraps up. And then we'll be getting into more and more MLS stuff. It's going to be a blast. Make sure you join us on there. Yeah. And don't forget to give us a follow and a rating wherever you listen to us on whatever platform that is. Uh, give us a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would help us out so much. What else would help us? Well, uh, giving word of mouth, you know, giving reviews to your friends, your family, your dad, even. I think he would love this episode in particular. Uh, catch us this Thursday for our deep dive episode. It's going to be a really interesting topic. Keep an eye out for that. And we'll see you guys. Same time, same place, next week for our news and predictions episode. See ya. Bye for now.